Hi, I'm Carolyn. Hi, I'm Megan, and this is Talking Resolve, where we discuss real-life problems to help you understand how fight and flight and unsupportive meaning takes over your life. We have a question. From John today. From a John. From John today, which is really nice. So John, um, so John has submitted his question. Why am I finding it so hard to get motivated? I seem to spend all my time Netflixing when I want to do things like walk the dog or just generally get moving for my health. I like how we've got um, Netflixing as a doing word these days <laughs> as well. <laughs> yes, how how these words enter our vernacular, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just had a little discussion beforehand and decided we want to cover immobilizing and mobilizing behaviors as part of the fight flight response. And yeah, that would be a good start. We've got a few other points to cover. We don't script yeah. it. We just have points we want to cover. So. All yeah. right. So I'll talk a little bit about the difference between mobilizing and immobilizing behaviors. So hopefully that gives an idea. I think a lot of what we've talked about has been, fight and flight as um, mobilizing. So that's the the side of flight and fight that makes us move. So that's the fight and the flight. So fight is obvious. I'm, I'm trying to put up some sort of resistance to something physically usually. Uh, and then you've got flight, which is fleeing, running away. The other side of the same coin of, of our survival response is freeze and faint, often linked looped together as just freeze. Uh, this is the deer in the headlights, so the I can't move, uh, and the faint is when we have like we collapse, kind of uh, play dead, if you like. So, and we in resolve we separate these two out, and they do in a lot of other fields as well. But if you if you're googling flight and fight, you'll see them generally as flight, fight, and freeze. But mm. the main distinction here is to is that the freeze and faint is immobilizing, so it stops us moving. So this is when we can't fight. And we can't fly. We'll start on the mobilizing side. And uh, so then we retreat into behaviors that are more about not moving. So that's what's John, what's happened with John here. So there's been a trauma, a created an uns or an unresolved experience, created an, an unsupportive meaning that means now he has to do, use the immobilizing behaviors of flight and fight. I'm not sure I'm explaining that well today. I also probably wanted to add that Netflixing is not necessarily a a, a bad mobilising behaviour all the time. It's just if it's something that you're doing to stay away behavior. from the world. Yeah, like Im immobilising behaviour. You said mobilising behaviour. Oh, sorry, mo um, immobilising yeah. behaviour, yeah. So it's okay to watch Netflix, but it's just if that's what you're doing instead of like being out in the world and living your life, that's when we've got a problem. Yeah, yeah. and it's if you're recognising it as a problem for yourself. Yeah, I yeah. think he is because he's doing it. I think he said he's doing it instead of doing what he wants to do. Yeah, that's right. So he's yeah. using it as a way to um, stop moving. Yeah. And that's because we're in this immobilizing retreat, hunker down, um, weather the storm the world kind smaller of. and smaller and smaller. Yeah. So do you want to talk about that? Talk about that. Well, yeah, I guess we just. The, the smaller our world is, the less we have to respond to and the less energy we have to use responding to it. So we do tend to make our world smaller. We stay at home and watch Netflix or we stay in the one. It, I, I think people end up in one room sometimes, in yes. one, one lounge, in one room, in 
and yes. just yeah the, the, and just keep making it smaller and smaller it's Less- because also you feel safer so you'll typically yeah. it's typically our home that we do this in because mm. that's where we feel the most secure and safe mm. often not always but often uh so you'll you'll make your world smaller by only confining yourself to a lounge room or a bedroom and then you make it smaller again by then just the couch or just your bed yeah. Uh, and then even smaller again is under under covers. So you start having blankets and hoodies and things that you want to, like the good old Udi, um, mm. that you want to then just make your world even smaller because the mm. smaller I can make it, the safer I feel. This is the, you know, from primitive times where you find the cave and you want to go and sit right in the back of it because you won't get noticed by prey if you're hidden away. Yeah. So it's it's that desire to hide and to be hidden away that makes us feel safer but it's when it's not living no that's it it's just survival it's full yeah. survival mode yeah. yeah so something has happened to john that he can't fight against and he can't run from yeah so he doesn't have the ability you know if you've got a mortgage on your house it's harder to then sell everything up and hit the road in a combi van and travel around australia mm. it's harder to do that so you know, if you've got family that are relying on you or, you know, whatever the reason is, you might not be able to flee and you might not be able to fight because you don't know what you're fighting against. So it isn't somebody saying to you, oh, you can't leave your house. So which you could potentially fight against. So you don't know what you're fighting against. If anything, you're fighting against yourself, which just pushes you further into flight and fight. And Mm. when that doesn't work, we just want to retreat. So this is where people get very isolated Mm. Um, this is where you hear news stories about people that are found that have died in their house 12 months ago and nobody knows. Yeah. So because you, the flight and fight response has become so extreme in terms of isolation that you just don't ever leave a room in your yeah. house. Yeah, it's hard to get to the, the crux of what would, like to explain on something like this, what would get someone into this position. But there's there's a lot of as we spoke about earlier, unresolved life experiences that you're you're not feeling safe from. So you, like you said, you don't know what you're Why potentially you fighting, <clears throat> and and you can't run. And so I think we have talked about it before, where that little. I mean, I, I don't know if this is the same thing, but the mouse in the cat's mouth, and it, yes. and it's like it's dead. Place dead. You put the yeah. cat down, the, and the, the mouse puts the gets put down, and it scurries away. Yep. Yeah, but that, that mouse knows it's predator. The mouse knows it's a cat. Whereas yep. when we've got unsupportive meaning, um, you know, stuff in our subconscious that we haven't worked out, we don't know necessarily what the threat is until we do some of that work to find it out. Yeah, that's very true. And we've talked before about creating our paper tigers. So this, mm. this is the gap filling we do when we decide something is a threat that may or may not be. It's not about whether it actually is a threat. Yeah, uh, It's all about your own perception because we create our own reality. So it's not from somebody else's perspective whether something's a threat or not. It's about whether we feel it's a threat or not. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, it can be really hard to work out just what the threat is. We can talk in, in terms of symptoms and say that John John might identify the threat as having to go out in the world. Yeah. But why would going out in the world be a problem? Yeah. So something has happened where he's put himself out in the world and it was a problem. Yeah. Um, or it could just be that I don't believe I've got what it takes to deal with the world. So I just, I'll keep out of it. Yeah. So the, you know, going out isn't the threat. Um, the threat is then I can't cope. 
So it's really trying to narrow down what it is, which can be quite difficult when you when you can't relate your symptoms to a flight and fight response, firstly. So I can't sort of create that link. And then mm-hmm. if I do, if if through watching some of these videos, you start to, or listening to the podcast, you start to understand that could be a flight and fight response, then working out where is that coming from, that can be really challenging because it can be really hard to understand what it might be. And we talk, we've talked a lot on this uh, on this channel about trauma and maybe not so much about unresolved experiences. Mm. So an experience doesn't have to be traumatic in order for it to be unresolved. Yeah. It can just be unexpected. So I expected something to happen in a particular way and then it doesn't. And I don't know what to make of that. I don't know how to understand that. So mm. that then becomes an unresolved experience and we create our unsupportive meaning for that. So it could be something like, I, I didn't win the jelly bean competition when I was nine in school. That's not particularly traumatic, but mm. you might have, it's not traumatic at all that you didn't win it, but I might have created an unsupportive meaning from that saying, I'm not a winner. I don't win yeah. anything. And then you start, once you've got an unsupportive meaning like that, you start manifesting it. That's how you start living your life. I'm not a winner. So, mm. and you start focusing on all the times you don't win. I never win the lottery. I never win anything. I never win at work. I never I think the interesting something. part you're saying there is you start focusing on it and when you focus on it, you'll see it. Yes, it's the what I call white car syndrome. It's the, yeah. the you know, that time you bought your first car perhaps or you bought a car and then you suddenly see it everywhere because yeah. your focus now is on something that you hadn't been noticing before because you've just yeah. added something into your life. So that's what you start focusing on and you start like a, missing the negative. Oh, sorry, the, the positive. The positive, yeah. I just want to um, go back even into or just generally get moving for my health like health and well-being I think in that sentence he's like we're talking about specifically physical health and I don't think it's the connection between say the physical and the emotional health is is maybe going on here because you have to do some different kind of work sometimes on that inner world stuff to impact the physical health because go for a walk it might clear your head but it's still not solving the problem necessarily that you're you can't fight from or can't run from and that's probably why it starts to feel a little bit pointless maybe going for a walk yeah yeah Yeah. I think I think perhaps he does feel that I'm not sure but but perhaps he feels like it's it's futile to even try yeah uh, because nothing's changing yeah but change requires movement and not just and you're right not just physical movement I think when we say words like movement we are thinking I'll get up off the couch and and move uh, or get out of bed and move. But movement, while that's important, I I want to come back to that. Movement also is movement through your emotions, movement through your mental space so that there is still movement. But when you can't get that and you don't know how to get that, physically moving can help. So once you've got movement happening generally, you're giving your body the opportunity and your mind the opportunity to move emotionally and mentally as well. That's yeah. why walking is so good for mental health because it's movement and that physical movement kind of acts as a, a metaphor for movement generally. Yeah. yeah. So it can help. So, yes, you still need to do the inner work. I'm not saying don't do yeah. that. But getting just getting started um, can be enough. I saw um, actually a YouTube channel, that one of the ones that I follow, um, is Cassie from Clutterbug. So she's, she's somebody who uh, does, helps people, tidy up and and clear out clutter uh and 
one of the things that she talked about, about getting herself moving, because she said, how tempting is it to just sit on the lounge and Netflix is that she bought herself um, a, a little timer from Amazon. Yeah. And I thought, why don't, you, why don't you buy a timer when you've got one on your phone? And she goes, because this is what I do. I don't have it on my phone because I program the timer for 10 minutes. And then she just chucked it across the room. And she said, when it goes off, it's going to really annoy me. And it's going to mm. make me get up. So mm. she said, sometimes that motivation to just get up, you need something like that, that physically forces you to get up. And then in her mindset is, well, I've got two choices now. I can either stay up and do something or I can sit back down and Netflix. And she yeah. said, sometimes I just sit back down and I do the whole thing again. Mm. But other times it's like, well, I'm up now. I might as well. But again, these are good something. strategies which we need to yeah. get her moving. It's a yes. good strategy, um, but it's working out. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we've talked before strategies are about space, not solutions. Yeah. So yeah. it's about giving you the opportunity to create movement. So mm -hmm. strategies are still good. We still need to do strategies, yeah, definitely. but we can't use them as, as the end, 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 oh, what do you call it? End goal. It's not. Yeah. It's the, de it's not the. Des it's all about the journey, like yes. home. Yeah, yeah. and it's not a destination. You're right. Yeah. That's, that's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's, 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 yes, find a way to get moving. But if you're not doing the inner work, um, and we can talk about what inner work is a little bit more too, if you like. If yeah. Because I think, it, I think that it's question important. comes up what do you mean by inner work? Yeah. Well, it's self awareness away, work. It's looking <laughs> inside and looking at your responses and your responsibility and just, you know, I, I did a little post about this recently. I think it was even this morning, <laughs> but I lose track. It's it's about um, in the moment, you can't necessarily sit down and reflect and say, why am I responding like that? Because you're in flight, flight. But after the events passed, you calm down, you've sat down, you might be watching some Netflix. You can just non-judgmentally reflect without, you know, we can go to practitioners and all sorts of things, but just a little small step is to sit down and think, what? How did I respond like that? Like you can't help the response because it's a, if we're talking about emotional, we can't help the response, but we can non-judgmentally reflect on why we might be responding like that. And that could be, that's a nice little start to what inner work. I think yes. self-awareness is really important and it's understanding how important self-awareness is. Like having a look at yourself, not, not judgmentally, just, these are the behaviours I'm doing by rote every day. You know, why am I doing them? What can I do about it? What little strategy can I use to change it if I don't like it? Yeah, I think it's a, um, the self-reflection is really, it's a really good starting point. Interestingly, in a session recently, I had a, somebody who didn't want to do the self-reflection and which is not unusual if you're in flight and fight because you can be a little bit afraid of what you might find. Yeah. You might find more evidence that you're a crap human, for example, mm. if that's what you believe that you are. Yeah, so you can we want don't to... believe anyone is. <laughs> no, nobody is, but you can have that self-belief. Yeah. Uh, and so you'll actively try and avoid self-reflection because you're afraid of what you might find. And that's where, what you were talking about with the non-judgment, because I'm afraid because I know I'm going to judge it. Mm. That's yeah. why I'm afraid, because I'm going to discover something I don't like, which is a judgment. I'm going to create a judgment from it. So mm. I think the non-judgment is real. It's very hard to do, mm. uh, but it's really important to you do. You can even reflect on the non-judgment or on the judgment. Yes. yes. <laughs> like take it a, de a step further. Yeah. Reflect, well, what, why, okay. Well, why am I judging myself? 
Yeah. So what this client didn't realize though, in avoiding self-reflection because they're afraid, they're also avoiding self-reflection that's beneficial. Mm. So then also um, ignoring or um, avoiding positives mm. because I might do a self-reflection and go, oh, I handled that really well. Mm. Surpr- I'm surprised myself. I handled that really well, which yeah. is just as an important self-reflection as, oh, crap, I didn't handle that very well. Yeah. So he, what he didn't realize, this is a different, different John, what he mm. didn't realize was that in avoiding the self-reflection, he was also avoiding the opportunity for positive experiences yeah. or positive or positive recollections, positive su- and supportive meanings that he may have yeah. made. Yeah. Um, so he hadn't really thought about that. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's an interesting side of the self-reflection and perhaps self-reflection itself can create a flight and fight response. Yeah in that fear yeah it's amazing what can I mean I guess everything can and it's just having the tools yeah and this I want to make an important point this isn't about courage no in terms of this isn't you aren't deficient in some way if you don't feel you can do self-reflection yeah Uh, there's a lot of um, toxic positivity on social media that kind of makes you wrong if you don't do this yeah. Um, or can't, and more importantly, I think from flight and fight perspective is you can't do this. Yeah. It's not a don't, it's not a lack of desire to want to do it sometimes. Yeah. Um, so you, we can be really motivated in terms of our um, desire for something, but we're unable to take action. And that's the, our very first podcast was about that. Why can't I t- put my ideas into action? Mm. So we can be motivated by what, what our passion is but we still don't put it into movement for all sorts of reasons. But I think there is a lot of people out there that make you wrong in that. Yeah. That if I'm not doing the inner work, then I'm wrong in some way. It's not, it's not that it's just understand that the reason you might not be doing it is a, you don't know what inner work is Yeah. and B you're in flight and fight. When did doing the inner work save you from a tiger? You didn't yeah. say to a tiger, look, I'm, I'm really close to getting some break for, breakthrough in terms of what my behaviours are going and I'm really starting to change and turn a corner. You'd be lunch before you got four words out. Yeah. So it's it's not something that saves us. So it's not something we prioritise or even think about when we're in flight and fight. So yeah. the key step is to start your self-reflection is get out of flight and fight. Yeah. And we've given some strategies over the time, like the breathe in, breathe in again, breathe out in the moment to get you out of flight and fight. But mm. the only real reason it's kind of circular is you got to, you got to do the inner work. Yeah. No matter how afraid it makes you feel, it's, that's where the start is. So start small. Nobody says you've got to take off, you know, you don't have to eat the whole elephant. It's, it's one bite at a time. So just do something small, baby steps. Yeah. And I think with resolve, we do the inner work and it, I guess people have the perception that it can be hard and it can be fun to come confronting and, you know, it's too big or whatever. And it can but be at times. It, it can be, but it's also if you've got resolve practitioner who takes you through with the subconscious, your subconscious is going to take you on a more gentle journey. It's not like we're going, blah, here's all your stuff. It's all in your face. You've got to sort it all out. It's like you, you take in on a gentle journey I mean, I'm not going to say it's always easy because it's not, but you're equipped for it. I think you're, yeah. you know, the subcon- your subconscious has your back with it all as well. And it just, I guess yeah. we've spoken about it before. When we're in fight, flight, we can't connect to that collective consciousness yeah. to be able to solve our own problems. The subconscious can't. So that's why we need sometimes other people to help us do it. 
Yeah, and strategies that we talked about before. Yeah. So, and and the thing I like about resolve, and I think it's true what you said about sometimes it can be challenging, but it's never more than you can handle. That's yeah. the nice thing about it is that the client remains in the driver's seat. So we don't yeah. have to go anywhere that they don't feel they can handle. We can still challenge them, but yeah. again, it's not going to put them into a flight and fight. I, I, I feel, um, you know, sometimes I see people running courses uh, for, and I don't want to diss people about this. I think it's just a lack of understanding is that you go and do this self-help course over the weekend. So take yourself out of your life to do some inner work, which is a great idea, provided you've got the resources to cope with the fallout of it so that when you come back into your life, you can maintain the gains that you've made from the particular retreat you might have done. Mm. The reason we don't maintain the gains is because we're often not given support strategies except perhaps a box of tissues Mm. uh, because you've cried a bit Mm. uh, and now I don't know what to do with all of this. So it kind of, like you said, it, it brings that flight and fight smack bang in your face without the resources to know what to do about it and with a resolve practitioner that will never happen there's sometimes it can stir things up a little bit which is what you were alluding to which sometimes it can be a bit challenging but it's never more than you can handle yeah I mean we've had I'm sure you have as well I've had some big reactions after sessions but they they do the work and they they don't realize necessarily they're even doing it, but they're working and they're processing and they're sorting their stuff out and they're responding differently. And then, um, you know, they might walk out into the world and not Netflix one day and look back and go, oh, yeah, I've done that differently today. Yeah, and it's that yeah. moment that we look for, isn't it, as practitioners to help them see that's your aha moment when you've yeah. now responded differently. And I've never had a client, even when they've been very challenged, perhaps got very emotional or upset during a session, ever say to me, that was bad. Yeah. That was a bad thing that that happened. Yeah. Often the opposite. Yeah. And it can feel quite cathartic. But importantly, I just want to bring it back to the point that the reason that they feel good about it is because they weren't pushed beyond their limits of being able to co- to cope because yeah. they were in the driver's seat. I will, I will take the bus only this far because this right. is... This is where I can cope with whatever happens, even if it is a bit challenging. Yeah. Um, so, and that's what gives me confidence with, as a practitioner, when working with people, when they get a bit emotional, I used to hop in the emotional bucket with them when I first started, you know, 15 years, 10, 15 years ago, um, because I used to find it difficult because I empathized with the people so much, yeah. I'd sort of drop into the, I need to share the experience with you. And as that practitioner, that's not mm. something that you want to be able to do. You don't want to be um joining in because that's your own stuff that's coming up too I'm much better than I used to be um but I used to find it challenging when clients would break down in front front of me Mm. um but I think having I had a really good mentor as well which helped and uh just a little bit of training in um counseling and and how to do that really helped me understand why I was doing that and what to do about it Mm. so I'm much better now I just hand over the tissues and yeah. Give them a moment and help them understand that their reaction is a flight and fight response. So validate yeah. what they're feeling and then it's part of flight and fight. That's what this mm-hmm. is. I mean, That's for what... me, sometimes as a practitioner, I again, this is probably what I'm getting better at. I do, um, and I know we can use muscle testing to verify whether it's appropriate to say the things we say, but because you see what their patterns so clearly when they're lying there, sometimes it's hard not to 
bring it up or um, sometimes, you know, we bring it up a little bit too soon. Not meaning to, but it doesn't mean, like this is me, but then when you explain it, it doesn't happen often, but then I explain it and then they sort of get it. But sometimes we see the pattern far more clearly than they do because they're in fight flight relative to it and we're not. Yeah. So bringing yeah. back to John and his motivation, I think if he understands that motivation uh, is a byproduct of whether you're, which neurology you're in, are you in a survival neurology or are you are, are you in a living neurology? So yeah. he's not noticing that he's motivated. He is actually motivated. He's motivated to Netflix. Yeah. And that's coming from, and it's a negative motivator. And we've talked yeah. about this before. That's coming from flight and fight. Yeah. So he does have motivation. It's mm. just he's he's using it as an as a negative motivator or a yeah. negative expression, yeah. Um, because he's it's coming from the immobilizing flight and fight response. So, if I want to be immobilized and I want to isolate to feel safe, I'm going to be motivated to create that environment, which is exactly yeah. what he's doing. Yeah. So it's not a lack of motivation. It's just because he's in a, a survival neurology, it's being directed towards more survival rather than living. And that's what I think people are talking about when they say, I can't get motivated, is that they can't switch from the flight and fight response, whether it's mobilizing or immobilizing behaviors, can't switch from that survival neurology over to a living neurology. And living neurology just means an absence of flight and fight. So I'm able to live my life from the heart with creativity. I can do all of those things that, um, that I feel passionate about life, I feel joy, all of those things that we want to have in life. And I don't need to feel anxiety and depression and feel like I'm agitated or angry or all of those things that can happen when we're in flight and fight. So it's just an absence of flight and fight. We've already nailed the survival part. We don't need to focus on it anymore. So that's what living neurology is. So that's what I think he needs to do is the inner work around why he's there, sort that out, change the unsupportive meaning, uh, to one that's more supportive. And then the motivation will be driven from the living neurology, not from survival. Mm, Is that a good summing easy. up statement? <laughs> sounds easy, right? <laughs> yeah, snap your fingers like bewitched, you know, wrinkle your nose and, and all it's those just thoughts done. And move on. <laughs> yeah, just I'm going to put an affirmation up saying I'm in my living neurology. Yeah. And your subconscious is going, um, no, you're not. No, no you're not. <laughs> Sorry, got a bit more. Yeah. Well, you know how I feel about affirmations. Yeah, that I know. don't affirm. So yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So um, yeah. That's... I hope that helps, John. Yeah. Might. Yeah, but I hope it helps anybody else who might be struggling to understand why they're not motivated. It's yeah. not that you're not motivated. It's just you're using negative motivators from flight yeah. fight. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Mm. I think All that's right. it for today. All right. Sounds good. Lovely talking to you again. You too. Don't forget to hit subscribe, people, on now. Yes, like, share. Please yeah. comment. We'd love to see comments. Yeah. I know there's not very many of us follow, following you, following us at the moment, but yeah. we'd love it if you could just drop a comment or, yeah. We've had Tell good us, feedback. Yeah. We just don't, it's not on the channel. <laughs> yeah, we. I've got people SMSing and inboxing me and telling me how, how relatable they, they found their episode. So that's good. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. It's all right. It's all right.